Welcome to Experiencing God's Goodness. My name is Michelle Corgett, and today I want to invite you to join me as we hear stories of how individuals have walked through some incredibly difficult times and found God waiting for them in the middle of their darkest hour. We will hear some awesome testimonies of how God has shown up time and time again in the lives of these individuals and how they have experienced God's goodness. We just want to welcome Michaela to the show today. Um, Michaela, you are actually one of the inspirations of why I started this podcast, I have to tell you. Oh my goodness. I listened to your baptism um, testimony at our church about six months ago, and your story was so incredible and so touching, and I've listened to it several times since then. And I'll be honest, I started thinking about like what hope it brings to those people who um, who need to hear about God's goodness, who need to hear about what God can do in their lives when they're in their darkest hour. And so you are one of the reasons that I, I started this podcast is because I'm like, hey, if Michaela can bring that, how many other people have a story too of God's goodness? And so again, I just want to welcome you and thank you for coming. I think it's, I'm excited to have you here. Um, so I, we're just going to start out though, um, first of all, by talking about hope, because like I said, it, it, people need hope. We live, we're living in a really desperate time and a dark time right now. And I feel like it's getting worse by the day. Mm -hmm. um, our world can be a little scary out there. And I was listening to a speaker recently and he said something that never had really registered for me until he said it out loud. We don't look for hope until we're in desperate places. If you think about that, like that's, that's a pretty true. powerful statement. Yeah. And I know in your life, when you came to Christ, you were in a pretty desperate place. Absolutely. So I want you to just start out by telling us your story and telling us how you found God's goodness in the middle of all of it. I honestly feel like it's not my story. It's God's story and that I didn't find anything that he was he saved me. He found you. <laughs> uh, when I set, when I sat down to sort of think about, you know, how I would present how God found me, I started at the beginning, like, oh, you know, my childhood and praying. And my grandma went to church, but I didn't grow up in church. So I'd gone to church, you know, a couple of times, but nothing to speak of. We didn't have a home church. I didn't really know what having a home church even means, honestly. Right. But I always prayed. Um, and in the hindsight of sitting here now in this chair and looking back at my life, childhood to now, um, I, in God's graciousness, I can see that he didn't find me. He was always there. There isn't a moment even when I didn't know him to be there, that he wasn't sitting right next to me, just waiting. That's awesome. For me to, you know, invite him in because he doesn't force any of us and he never would. Yes. Because life, you know, love and life isn't about forcing. But yeah, there was no, there, he didn't find me. I just, he, you know, he opened my eyes like the scales came off. I don't know. But I, and now it's sitting here, it's so clear that his goodness is everywhere and in 
everything and just his graciousness throughout my walk from the moment of salvation has shook given me so many opportunities to get to know him and his character and um and I'm just really 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 grateful but he yeah he was there the whole time and it was an extremely desperate moment that finally sort of cleared like let me see that I you know I cannot this there's got to be another way like I cannot I'm not gonna make it I can't do this. Well, why don't you share with us how you got to that desperate moment? Um, I feel like... I don't know that it was really one, any one thing, but the major milestone of my, fir- my life's first... I don't want to say first, but the most poignant, like instance of just pain or I don't know what I wasn't ready for the biggest sort of earthquake was in 2006 my mom was diagnosed with with uh, breast cancer and she was 34 wow that's young mm-hmm. so um how old were you at the time I had maybe just turned 18 okay or I was about to turn 18 but um I didn't really accept that and it was just kind of like I avoided it like it w- couldn't be real not even surreal like impossible just mm-hmm. and um I'd had other you know family members die like uncles or you know older people where you would as as a child it would seem to make sense like it's They'd sad their life but yeah there's a logical to order yes. to it um there was no, I couldn't, I couldn't accept. I just couldn't accept it. It just wasn't happening. I refused to live in an existence where that was happening. And so I just kind of ran away. But it was happening. And there had been some things even before that that had really sort of exposed me to a nastiness of life that is pretty pretty relentless. And so I'd already really begun to spiral down a path of self-destruction. But that was really the, that was really the huge catalyst. And from then on, um, I just sort of, yeah, lived like nothing really mattered. Explain to us what that looked like. That looked like a lot of partying and friends that, are around but they don't actually care about you but you don't really care about them so you don't really care Mm -hmm. because you don't really care about yourself or anything that's happening and whatever we're all just dying that sounds like a really hopeless place yeah (laughs) yeah i lived there for a really long time but the the hardest part with all of that is it seems logical like yeah no we all die and most people are running around just really selfish and self-centered. And if I'm like that and you're like that, it stands to reason that everybody's like that. And we're all just getting what we can until we die. And so that's where I stayed for a long time. And in that, it was just kind of nihilistic. Like, oh, well, I'm just going to party and do what I want. And so really, yeah, self-destructive and irresponsible. And 
that led me to be in a relationship that was really damaging in all possible ways. And I stayed like that with drugs and alcohol to a really terrible degree. Like to the worst it could be while still maintaining a roof over my head. A fun, what they would call a functioning alcoholic or a yeah. functioning drug addict. Yeah, and I would use the term functioning loosely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't homeless, but <laughs> it was not far off. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, I lived like that for like about really like a little over a decade. Um, when I was 26, I got pregnant with my daughter. And I was fine. Like, from the second I was pregnant, I just didn't smoke, didn't drink, nothing. It was really easy. Not e- It wasn't even, there wasn't even a question. Um, and then after she was born, I don't know if it's habit or addiction or misery, but I was still in that same relationship. So none of my outside circumstances had actually changed. And um, eventually life just became more like it was at the beginning, except now she was here. Mm-hmm. And I'm just really grateful that God saved me when he did because I n- wouldn't have been able to keep her. Or if I had, it wouldn't have mattered because she would have seen me in a way where it would never, it would have been irreparable. If he hadn't saved me when he had, I just can't imagine that I could have lived not physically because I was killing myself like drinking from morning from waking until passing out and like lots of liquor or or so that would have done it or there was a lot a lot of violence so who knows where that could have gone you know it's just there was nowhere it had I, I couldn't live like that if I would have lost her, I could have never survived. Right. I know um, when I've heard your story before, you talk about a night that uh, that you heard God. Yeah. Kind of tell what, what led up to that night and tell us about that night. As... You know, it was all, it was never very good, but it just got progressively worse and worse. And, um, in the beginning of 2020, I, I lost my job and then COVID hit. So we were just trapped in the house and, um, it was just my mind. I read a book and I wanted to bring it and I forgot, but, um, my mind was just, loud and constant accusations and just it was just the meanest that it has ever been and I couldn't make it stop and so the drinking got worse because if I drank then I you know it was like anesthetized like I couldn't even hear it and um so that was just terrible and and everything was getting worse and one day we were walking and in one of the like a free library on someone's lawn there was a bible in it and I picked it up and it, it you know that was like maybe a week prior 
and things didn't get better. They just, you know, continued and continued. Did you open up that Bible when you got back home or you just took it? Just took it. Just took it. And, um, yeah, I couldn't sleep because my, I just, my mind never stopped. It was just constant and hateful and, and, um, like four in the morning, I got up from like fitful sleep, but just woke up right out of bed. My eyes shut open and I just heard it like, you know, exactly what to do. And it cut through the noise and it cut through the, the anxiety and the panic. And the, I can only describe it as gnashing of teeth. And it was, and I got up and I went to the kitchen table and I opened the Bible and I just started reading and it just got quieter. Do you remember what you read? No. But whatever <gasps> it was, it made a difference. was it I just opened it I didn't even go to any particular page but it was in first Samuel and it was and eventually it talked about Hannah and how she prayed and something about how God heard her and she prayed with her mouth you know moving her mouth with no sound coming out and when I started to do that I could hear my own voice in my head and it had been so long since I'd heard my own voice in my head it had just been all of the hate and all of the self-loathing so what happened after that after that um I just didn't have to drink anymore wow it's insane and it's the hardest one Sometimes I get worried talking to people about it because I know that that doesn't happen for everybody, that people struggle with alcoholism and addiction for like their whole lives. So many of my family members do and have and so many people do. And sitting here now because you didn't know me then, it might be like I also think like, well, maybe people think I'm embellishing like it wasn't as bad I couldn't have been that bad if it just stopped but it was absolutely that bad it was I'm sure it was crazy but it just came off of me Wow. and in and I could see clearly like the danger that I was in but I just started reading and praying and following the instructions, even though my my marriage at the time, my surroundings at the time, my circumstances didn't seem to fit. Explain that. You know, I wasn't in a good environment. And around me and the things and the situations that were happening, they weren't conducive to, you know, being kind or, you know, turning the other cheek or responding patiently or, you know, just... I don't want to say obeying because that sounds like it would be in a bad situation, but that's kind of what I mean. Like I didn't fight with him. I just said yes and went along. And yeah, that's, and I don't want to say that as if somebody in a relationship that is, um, unsafe should say yes. But in the moment I was kind of, I didn't have a car anymore. I didn't have a job anymore. I couldn't get a job because 
COVID had everything shut down and normally I would work in food service. I was, right. I'd been a bartender and a server. And um, so I had no way of getting out. I didn't know what to do. So I was just, I don't know. I just was trying to follow the Lord. And the only, there was no way for me to get out of there except by this very, very narrow ledge that I didn't see and couldn't find on my own, but just by following and praying, it opened up all the doors just slightly enough for me to wiggle out of there with my daughter because all along this time, I didn't know it, but he'd kind of, well, I maybe it hadn't been premeditated, but my behavior and my choices left enough room open for a reasonable outsider to view me as unfit okay and so when if i had tried to just leave he would have been able to maintain custody of your daughter i don't know that he would be able to maintain but he'd make a good judgment that neither of us could okay and um so by i don't know by just i don't want to say not making any waves but just by being patient and just, I don't know. You found your opportunity. Yeah. And, and left that abusive relationship. Yes. I know that at some point you ended up in Tennessee. <laughs> and then um, due to circumstances beyond your control, uh, you came back to California. Yes. Uh, once you're back in California... Tell me, how have you, uh, I, you have a great story about how the Lord provided housing and, I mean, because again, you still had nothing. Yeah. It was still pandemic and uh, you and your daughter are on the, basically are homeless at this point. We are, yes. So we'll <laughs> yes. go ahead and pick up the story from there. Um, we have to come back to Tennessee and... Um, Basically, we were just at the, my dad at this point is giving me maybe $50 a month to help <laughs> with whatever he can. But we just end up like at the county office, like I, you have, we have to have somewhere to stay. There's, it's that or we're staying in this hallway. And so they put us up at the Motel 6 across the street from Cross Point. And this whole time, you know, I'm reading every day and I'm praying trying to pray constantly and um i'm praying that god could bring us to a church home where we can grow and i don't even really know what that means at that point but we end up across the street at that motel six and we go and we don't start attending like regularly right away because i get a job that didn't make that easy so we had to go to a saturday night service just little things so from finding from first attending, I don't think we got to start going regularly for at least like another six six months to a year. Mm-hmm. But in praying for that, I just feel like through the whole journey, God has just provided the entire time. That is so great because He is a provider. We sometimes just need to be willing to look or accept his provisions. Mm-hmm. Has that been hard? 
Um, honestly, I feel this is going to sound crazy, but I feel totally blessed in the just dire straits of my situations because it's so clear. Like there's no other, there's no, there's no other explanation. Right. It has to be God. It's only God. There was no other way. There was just no other way. (laughs) And, um, so I feel really grateful in that because I feel like sometimes the world, we live in or our abundance makes it easy to like be dissuaded from the just miraculous wonder of God's constant provision like oh well maybe it was this or maybe it was that like nope there was that was God because I had nothing in my hands (laughs) and so today uh, I know that you are still living in um in basking in his goodness, uh, you know, I have to tell you, in fact, I told you, I think this during our pre-interview that when we prayed together uh, a couple of weeks ago, your prayer was one of somebody who has experienced God's goodness and his power and his grace. It was such a powerful prayer. And uh, we were just teamed up by chance praying with one another, but it was just such a neat thing to hear that from you and just to to be and experience that with you um tell me about your walk now my walk now is kind of amazing but I don't know it feels like almost too good to be true but it is like I just feel so blessed and it doesn't mean that things are easy which kind of surprised me. How so? Sometimes I feel like uh, God is so great and so clearly real. Like I, there's no doubt for me. And so good. Like why can't I do this right? Like why? <laughs> you know? like, so I get mad at myself. Like why is this still so hard? I should just be able to give. Right. But it's a struggle learning to surrender. Like that was... Oh, if surrender was easy, we'd all be doing it. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. But that was the one where I was like, oh, my goodness, what is this? Like, this is, it's difficult. It's like a daily thing. But God is just so good and so gracious. And it's amazing. I don't know. I try to, to study every day. And it's not, I say try, but it's not actually hard. Like, really, that's most of what I want to be doing all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, that's when things make the best sense. That's when things are clearest. But then you have to remember, like, oh, no, this isn't just for me. Like, I'm supposed to go out and and give this away and share. So what would you want to tell those who might find themselves struggling um, or even people who have family members who might be struggling, that they're watching their loved one numb themselves <sighs> with alcohol or drugs, and they're needing hope for them. What what would you want them to know? That's so hard. I, that's a hard thing to do. But I would just say not to give up. And that there is so much power in prayer. It's, I don't know. 
I find it's, sometimes it's hard to talk about because when people are hurting or when they are angry, they feel like that's not enough. But it is. It is the most powerful thing we could do. And I don't understand it. And sometimes that's what I pray. Like, God, I don't know how, but I know it is because you say it is. And everything you say is true. Mm-hmm. But just keep praying for them. Actually, you know what? I know that this hasn't aired yet. And we don't know who's going to be listening. But I was wondering if you would be willing to pray right now for whoever is listening. Okay. Okay. Father, we come to you. We come to you here in this room, here in whatever room, whoever you want to hear is listening from. I don't know their names, but you do. Because you know each and every single one of our names. You know every single hair on our head. You numbered it and counted them from the secret place where you knit them together from our mother's wombs. You know every tear that's fallen. And they won't be wasted. They matter to you. Each person matters to you. Your love for us is incomprehensible because your power is beyond our possible understanding. And you love us. God, I pray that whoever needs you today would find you, that your Holy Spirit would be upon them and see them through the way you have seen me through, the way you want to see every single one of us through to the purpose and the promise that can only be known through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his holy name, I pray for all those who are listening, that they would find the hope and the life and the truth and the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Michaela. And thank you so much for coming and sharing your story today. I know it takes, it takes courage. Um, it takes courage to speak about the pain. It takes courage to, uh, you know, sometimes to be vulnerable and just share some of what our bad behaviors or our bad choices were. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you were, um, that you've been willing to do that has been a blessing and I know will be a blessing to those out there listening. So thank you. You're welcome. If you find yourself in a domestic violent relationship and you want help, please contact the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Maybe you identified with other parts of Michaela's story today, and you too want to experience God's goodness in your own life. You can reach out for 24-hour prayer at the prayer hotline at 1-800-700-7000. We pray that no matter where you find yourself today, that you will experience God's goodness.